so many people are buying bikes. I went to the bike department and there was just, it was sort of like the toilet paper aisle. It was all of the bike racks and they were all empty. There was not one bike at Target. Wow. I think that we should really be seizing this moment to introduce people to uh, the pleasure of other options. It's not like people decide to get on their bikes and then they decide to change the infrastructure. The infrastructure creates the culture. Welcome to Bike Talk, Friday, May 8th. Um, my name is Don Ward, and I'm here with your co-host, uh, Nick Richard. Uh, as our guest, we have uh, Taylor Nichols, who was appointed to the West Hollywood Bicycle Task Force in 2011, and has since been on the Mid-City West Community Council. He's also on the Los Angeles Bicycle Advisory Committee as the rep for CD5. And along with him, we have Scott Epstein, who has been serving as the chair of the Mid-City West Community Council for the past six years and is a longtime homeless and safe streets advocate. Later, we're going to have Melissa Balmer, founder of PedalLove.org. We're also going to have Jim Brown. We'll talk to those folks. And then we're going to have back on Assembly member Laura Friedman, who is one of our favorite politicians. Um, she is so knowledgeable. She represents the 43rd Assembly District and uh, that encompasses the city of Burbank, Glendale, La Cunada, Flint Ridge, and the communities of La Crescenta and Montrose. Um, also representing the neighborhoods of Atwater Village, Beachwood Canyon, Los Feliz, East Hollywood, Franklin Hills, and Silver Lake. So that's quite a, that's actually like what I would consider be, to be the bicycle district of Los Angeles, really, the kind of the epicenter, although Scott might disagree with that. And, um, we'll talk about, uh, we'll, have, we'll have everybody on, and uh, we'll talk to Laura about the 85th percentile uh, law here in California and her bill, AB 2121. Um, Taylor, welcome. Scott, welcome. Hey, Don, hey, Nick. Always a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Pleasure to have you guys. So we're, we're going to start out, uh, Taylor, you were saying we're going to start out with, uh, with some yeah, poetry. I, yeah, I, some, with some poetry, which is always a good way to start bike talk. Uh, <laughs> right? You know, this is just one of those poems that, that was uh, passed along, you know, on Facebook and the internet and things like that. And it's called The Great Realization by uh, a, a website called Tom Foolery. And uh, it, it, it's really wonderfully produced. There's a lot of great graphics with it, but it's really about coming out of this pandemic, which is exactly where we are right now. You know, uh, the, the great realization, what have we realized? What have we learned from these past, uh, God, how many weeks is it? Seven weeks? Something like that. I, I was actually just out um, today. I guess today they're saying that we're gonna reopen some parts of of, of uh, California, right? We're going to start yeah. opening up small businesses. Parks and I think beaches are opening and a lot of small businesses, which is really wonderful that we're getting back to it. It's did we good. did we learn any lessons? Did right, we? Right. I, I, I was out today and I already felt like I saw smog and there was too many cars on the road, including mine. But... Uh... Well, I think one of the things that we've all seen is how when cars 
are not as ever present on the street all the time. It makes space for pedestrians and cyclists and joggers and people who live in the neighborhood. And that's kind of what this poem is about. Uh, uh, I was reading in the paper today that Seattle is um, uh, continuing to close off 20 miles of public streets after they open everything back up. And so that's a real lesson that the city of Seattle has learned that you know, we can take some space, a little bit of space away from the cars and give it back to the neighborhoods. Right, right. Yeah, I heard about that as well. Do we, is there any plans? What are we doing in LA? Well, Scott, what do you know? I mean, yeah, so there is a movement uh, for, this to, for this to come to LA. We're quite late, right? So Seattle's been doing it, Oakland, Mexico City, uh, cities around the world are taking this opportunity to realize that streets are not just for vehicles, but for people on their own power. Um, and so we're a little bit late to the party, but th there has been quite a bit of discussion. Um, Mike Bond uh, has been leading on this a bit and Delray Neighborhood Council created a network of streets that they wanted to be implemented. It almost happened and then the city kind of pulled, uh, pulled it back at the last minute. Um, but I think it will still happen. And, um, and, and communities all across the city are starting to ask for this. Uh, the, the nonprofit Streets for All is, is uh, doing a lot of advocacy around this issue of slow streets. And uh, we'll actually be voting on a network of our own in the Mirror Mile uh, on Tuesday night. It's, it makes a lot of sense as a solution. Hopefully we'll get more city action soon. Right, right. So I'm gonna go ahead and play that poem, okay? This is from the Tom Foolery sites called The Great Realization. Tell me the one about the virus again, then I'll go to bed. But my boy, you're growing weary, sleepy thoughts about your head. Please, that one's my favorite. I promise just once more. Okay, snuggle down, my boy, though I know you know full well. The story starts before then, in a world I once would dwell. It was a world of waste and wonder, of poverty and plenty, back before we understood why hindsight's twenty-twenty. You see, the people came up with companies to trade across all lands, but they swelled and got much bigger than we ever could have planned. We'd always had our wants, but now it got so quick, you could have anything you dreamed of in a day, and with a click. We noticed families had stopped talking. That's not to say they never spoke, but the meaning must have melted and the work-life balance broke. And the children's eyes grew squarer and every toddler had a phone. They filtered out the imperfections, but amidst the noise, they felt alone. And every day the skies grew thicker till you couldn't see the stars. So we flew in planes to find them while down below we filled our cars. We'd drive around all day in circles. We'd forgotten how to run. We swapped the grass for tarmac, shrunk the parks till there were none. We filled the sea with plastic because our waste was never capped until each day when you went fishing, you'd pull them out, already wrapped. And while we drank and smoked and gambled, our leaders taught us why. It's best to not upset the lobbies. More convenient to die. But then in 2020, a new virus came our way. The governments reacted and told us all to hide away. 
while we all were hidden amidst the fear and all the while, the people dusted off their instincts. They remembered how to smile. They started clapping to say thank you and calling up their mums. And while the car keys gathered dust, they would look forward to their runs. And with the skies less full of voyagers, the earth began to breathe. And the beaches bore new wildlife that scuttled off into the seas. Some people started dancing. Some were singing. Some were baking. We'd grown so used to bad news, but some good news was in the making. And so when we found the cure and were allowed to go outside, we all preferred the world we found to the one we'd left behind. Old habits became extinct and they made way for the new. And every simple act of kindness was now given its due. But why did it take a virus to bring the people back together? Well, sometimes you've got to get sick, my boy, before you start feeling better. Now lie down and dream of tomorrow and all the things that we can do. And who knows, if you dream hard enough, maybe some of them will come true. We now call it the Great Realization. And yes, since then there have been many, but that's the story of how it started and why hindsight's 2020. Again, that's from Tom Fogarty. It's called The Great Realization. And uh, to, to me, what it means is, is we've all realized something that by slowing down a little bit and uh, creating a safe space for people to maneuver in their own neighborhoods brings us back to much more of a community. I live in a World War, in a pre-World War II community, which means, you know, the bank and the church and the school um, are all within, you know, a five minute walk. And so there's no reason to drive a car to Trader Joe's or to the bank or to take my daughter to, you know, third grade. Uh, and that, that's kind of what the poem represents. Scott, you want to, what, what you're thinking about how we can move forward? You have a young daughter. It's been interesting to kind of observe the discussion around public space in the, in the COVID era. In Los Angeles, we've been thinking about public space, I think, in a way that is not as productive as it could be. So, you know, I think a lot of Angelinos and particularly many of our politicians think of public space as sort of these key destinations, the beach, the mountains, maybe the LA River now, um, some very large signature parks like Griffith Park, um, like Debs Park. Um, but the truth of the matter is we need to start acting like public spaces all around us because it is. Our streets belong to us. We are a park poor city. Many, many people in this city do not live within walking distance of even a small park. And so the streets are one of our best opportunities. We can have a network of open streets during, during uh, of slow streets during the COVID era. We can also have uh, a network of uh, slow streets when we get out of the COVID era. But this actually represents a real opportunity and if you want this in your community, you should be going to your neighborhood council and saying, hey, Delray wants this, United Neighborhoods and Mid-City wants this, they passed a motion. Uh, Mid-City West is taking up a motion uh, on Tuesday night. I'd like your, my neighborhood council to say that there's somewhere where I can walk or bike with my family with proper social distance in my community as well. Um, because it's never gonna happen if local communities don't advocate for it. So 
that would be my call to action. Make this happen in your own local community. Great, great. Hey, Don and, and uh, Nicholas, thanks, you guys. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for coming Thank on. Thank you, Taylor and Scott. So joining the conversation, we have Melissa Balmer, who's the founder of PedalLove.org, and uh, Jim Brown, who is the former executive director of the Sacramento Area Bicycle Advocates. Jim, Melissa, welcome to the show. It's good to see you guys and hear you guys um, haven't connected in quite a while. So thank you for having us on. We're happy to be here. Yeah, it's great yeah, to be here. Absolutely. The last time I saw you in person was at a um, LACBC Christmas party. That must so, have been years yeah. ago. <laughs> it was years ago. It was years ago. It was years yeah. ago. Um, so we're really delighted to be here and to talk to you today about a lot of interesting things that we have been up to uh, okay. since I'm, I moved up here to the Pacific Northwest. So Charlie just got back from a long ride out. Um, bike packing he's now into bike packing uh, yeah so Charlie you guys Gandy. can have him on sometime soon to talk about it yeah the man right the man so, the legend. Um, I, I see him on social the legend media. Is, I, see his, I see his uh photos and, and uh, social media content it looks amazing what he's been doing yeah the, le the legend was, is taking a nap because he was uh hard at work teaching kids how to ride bikes today so we, t we had a neighborhood bike radio. So yeah, that's what's going on over here. But um, it's all good. And uh, yeah, we're, we're doing fantastic. And Jim is in Sacramento. And I coerced him into working with, uh, working with me on storytelling and communications, um, which has, you know, me, the media relations person, always wanting to get uh, bike advocates out there on broader platforms. So that's really what we're doing at Pedal Love. We're really focused on communication, storytelling, media relations, um, low cost uh, online trainings is what we're working on right now. And we seem to have hit like that zeitgeist, right? The moment of when people are like at home and ready. So we've been having a great time. And um, the smoking gun that we came in contact with that we kind of knew about, you guys, have you had uh, Tara Goddard on the show? Have you had her on the show when she was uh, the bike pet advocate for Davis, right, Jim? And then she went back to school and got her master's and then her PhD, and she's now at Texas A&M. And she, is, she and her colleagues have done the research to prove that how the media speaks about traffic crashes for people biking and walking is uh, important, crucial. So... This was something that we've all felt in, in mo uh, active mobility advocacy for years. And now we have the data, the research that, to prove it. And so basically, we reached out to them and said, can we help you? Can we help you get into uh, the media? Can we use this to train advocates? And that's what we're doing. That's what we're focusing a lot of time on. And we've also included, we've also created a online toolkit for uh, people that are in biking, walking, active living advocacy of all kinds to understand how they too can reach out to not just the media, but to important influencers and get them to understand whether it's public information officers at the police, whether it's uh, people in your local government to understand it's not just changing from uh, accident to crash, right? It's how the media is writing, you know, a car killed, an SUV killed. Well, we don't say a gun killed somebody, 
we say somebody shot somebody. So there's, this is, these are tools that advocates need to start using now to change the way we talk about stuff. So in the case of uh, like a car killing someone, what would you say instead? Like a driver or a driver of a vehicle? Yeah, somebody driving an SUV uh, hit and, and killed someone. And in the toolkit, we have all, Jim's much better at remembering all those details than I am, but uh, we have all of the information. We have links to the research. We have two webinars that we've done so far. We have upcoming webinars uh, that train people. And we just, it's online for free and take a look and learn how you can influence. We even have a three-page tip sheet that you can learn exactly how to ask the media and local leadership to change their language to what you're talking about. Oh, I love this. This is great. Yeah. It's so, really, this is what we've been waiting for. And this is something we can find on pedallove.org? Yeah, you can go to pedallove.org. It's right on the front page. Um, we have like six or seven pages, Jim, of the toolkit. Yeah. And it's all laid out for you. All the downloads, all the links to the research, everything is there. But we wanted to spoon feed it to you to make it easy because we know that advocates and volunteers are really busy and we wanted to make it easy to understand. And so it's all right there for you. I'll jump in and say that, that uh, what's cool to me about this is if we're all familiar with the stories that we see in the media about uh, that seem to blame the victim, you know, the bicyclist wasn't wearing a helmet, that sort of thing. And this is the first study to actually look at the impact of that language on readers' perceptions. And uh, one of the things they found was that um, when uh, study subjects were shown a version of a news story that actually provided context for the crash and um, described sort of who was actually involved, that was a driver that was involved, um, they found that they were 30% more likely to support solutions such as uh, roadway safety improvements. And this is in one, they saw one version, you know, one version of this article and were 30% likelier to support um, safety improvements. For me, that's super important because if you think about the fact that transportation accounts for the largest single source of GHGs in our country, and cars are the biggest source of that chunk. And then you think about the obstacles people have to getting out of their cars, right? We know that people, a lot of people wanna be using a bike for transportation, but they don't feel safe on the road. Well, if, if what they're seeing about the roads through news media, uh, media co news coverage of, of traffic crashes um, discourages them from supporting safety improvements, we've got an enormous disconnect, especially when you consider the fact that advocates reach far fewer people than the average daily newspaper. So newspapers and TV stations have vastly larger audiences, and they're really the ones who are shaping attitudes. So this, this uh, research shows us the impact of that influence and but also gives us some tools for talking to the media and talking to the community about how we can change that. Essentially, the findings uh, identified sort of two main things. One is has to do with word choice. So, for example, a typical uh, a typical uh, news story might say a pedestrian was killed, and it might not say that a pedestrian was killed by a car, and it might not say that a pedestrian was killed by a driver. 
or it might say the pedestrian was killed by a car. In other words, the way that the, the story is written gives agency to the car, but leaves the driver completely out of the equation. Um, so word choice really, really matters. So the more detail we can ask news people to include in their stories, the better. The second big finding had to do with um, sort of the way that the story was framed. Very often we'll see a, what is essentially a CHP uh, press release that gets reprinted in the newspaper. Well, that press release isn't going to tell you about the average daily traffic on the street. It's not going to tell you how big the street is, the um, speed limit. It's not going to tell you whether or not there were other crashes on the street. So when a, when a, when a, a news uh, consumer gets that story, they're getting no context at all. So they can't tell whether, is this a dangerous street? Is it not a dangerous street? Is this a huge problem? Is this a one-off thing? The, the result is that it treats these um, crashes as kind of um, isolated incidents rather than as part of a bigger theme having to do with a, an unsafe corridor or a recurring safety problem that's occurring all over the city. Um, and these are, um, these are really important findings because they are minor fixes for a lot of these news stories. So um, I've, I've um, started contacting reporters when I see one of these stories and I'll, I'll explain to them about the research. And um, in several cases, I've gotten very positive feedback from people saying, um, thanks for letting me know about this. I had no idea. Of course, we want to do the best job we can. So it's pretty exciting to see that um, research um, out because it gives us something to talk about um, to the media and to the community. Now, I was, um, I feel like I've read somewhere that, you know, back in the teens and 20s when automobiles were first introduced or first became mass produced, that there were efforts to change that language like for example, calling a pedestrian a jaywalker and yeah. things like that, that came out of where the automotive lobbies was that sort of yes. is that fair to say exactly it was, yeah. Is, is, yeah is that is that something that's still a pressure that's out there? Do they still do they have their own AP style sheet that tells you how to report a car crash? Like AAA, does AAA have some kind of a style sheet that? You know, does this still exist or is this something that sort of has become uh, like like a, a matter of inertia? And now that you guys are coming out with this new style sheet, is there going to be resistance to this? I guess is what I'm saying. That's a really good question. Yeah, I think um, I'll tell you what I know and then Jim can tell you his thoughts. What we're finding is that um, so about three or four years ago, a little bit longer, the, the transportation alternatives in New York took on the crash not accident campaign um, for New York, for the New York area to change how the Associated Press uh, covered just that word. Like they wanted to get accident change to crash and they got it changed. Um, you're talking about a campaign that I believe it was in the late uh, 19, like 1918, early 1920s, where they started, uh, they, the automobile industry spent massive amount of money at that time to create jaywalkers and the whole campaign, because really women especially were terrified of cars and they just didn't want cars in the streets. So they spent a lot of money and they did for years 
Whether they're still lobbying on that, I don't know, but here's what we're finding out. What we're finding out is that the style guides like the Associated Press or say the Chicago Manual Style, they're important, but then each large paper especially will have their own style guides, their own ways that they actually write about things. So that what Transportation Alternatives and others did, Families for Safe Streets and others, was a massive first step, but now we've got to take, we've got to keep changing the culture and we've got to keep moving forward. Uh, but more to be revealed on whether or not the, the car industry is still working with language to make things seem, um, to put the, to really put the onus and to put the blame exactly where it needs to not be. I think they are totally still doing that. Maybe they're not calling uh, uh, pedestrians jaywalkers, but they're saying this car is so masculine and this car is so sexy and you know, this car is, will make your life easy. So they definitely have their own uh, ways of selling their products through, through uh, vo vocabulary, I think. I think it's oh, a yeah. great they, they are sales, sales wise, yeah, absolutely. And um, now, you know, we're all watching with horror as more and more um, accoutrement is put into the dashboard. And you're thinking, is anybody even looking at the road? I mean, it's just... It's, yeah, I, it's I can't terrifying. believe that they, I can't believe that they allow these, I mean, we talk about distracted driving and then you get in a new car and there's a huge screen it's and you're crazy. like, how is this, how it's is this crazy. Off, like allowed? How is this legal? How can, yeah, how can you, and how can you even buy this car without taking a safety test with this car? Like it's, it's so different than anything from the past. It's just unbelievable. And so what we're really talking about is culture shift. And that's something that I have been passionate about for years and why the media, like Jim alluded to the fact that as advocates, we really have got to wake up to the fact that even cut to the bone the way the media is right now, Streets Blog and City Lab and Next City and um, The Guardian have massive audiences compared to say what our uh, email newsletter lists or our social media followings are going to be. And so we really have got to start those publications that I talked about are already talking about this in the way that we want them to talk about it. But the, and the Los Angeles Times does a great job, but is it every reporter that writes at the Los Angeles Times that's doing a great job? Is it every San Francisco Chronicle? Is it everybody at the Associated Press? And Petal Love has moved from California to really across the across the United States, but now we've really the English speaking world because the English speaking world is having the same problems with biking everywhere. So if you're in Canada, if you're in the UK, if you're in New Zealand, if you're in Australia, the same challenges with not wearing a helmet, that being the first thing that they say about somebody like really, really, like they got hit at 40 or 50 or 60 miles an hour, they, the helmet was going to do no good. Uh, so it's really culture shift that we're talking about. And California's powerful because it's the largest media market. New York is the large, the number one. So Manhattan's the number one uh, media market in the country. But then California has two through like, Jim, help me out here, 20. Like, then I mean, it's just massive, the the media audience here and the, the media that we can reach out to. The California Bicycle Coalition has the most uh, advocacy organizations in its network of any other state. And so the opportunity in California to really create this culture shift uh, is massive. And, and that's what we really want to invite people to do. You know, I got to tell you a personal story. Sorry. 
of uh, okay, so Kajon Cermak. Do you, do you know who Kay, She's a yeah, graphic reporter yeah, for KCW. Yeah, yes, so yes. One, there, was yeah. A t- there was a time a couple of years ago, maybe three or four years ago, where she was on Twitter and something happened. I think it was a friend of hers that was a pedestrian. It was, was hit. It was a hit and run. And she said something that was similar to what we're talking about, where the narrative was, was car-centric. And I started kind of heckling her on Twitter and we ended up like conversing and I ended up getting on the phone with her and talking with her for a couple of hours. And I've ever since then, I'll hear her on the radio and she'll give a little nod or, or, uh, I don't know how you'd call it, but she, she definitely includes bikes. No, now. she was, she, she was a fan. We, we've, yeah, we've been, we've been in touch in the past and, mm-hmm. um, She's a fan of the California Bicycle Coalition. We need, there's actually a lot of people that are fans of biking and walking that are journalists yeah. that have a lot to teach us about the way they think, the way their world is. I mean, and you know, like, right, like I reached out to you out eight years ago, like, you know, because I was so excited about uh, Wolfpack Hustle and the different, uh, the race and, you know, all these kind of things. And because it's those, you know, getting on Rachel Maddow, like, oh my gosh, you know, like people think, oh, Marketing. it's not that big of a deal. But if you keep, exactly, right? And right. if you keep, we want fresh audiences because one of the biggest frustrations that I had over the years with Los Angeles, and a lot of it was because I was dealing with challenging health. So I really didn't have the bandwidth to go into it. But was really, um, there are so many cyclists in Hollywood. And I'm saying cyclists, they're road cyclists, right? But they have money and they have talent and we need them to teach us how to tell stories not in six minutes in 30 seconds in 15 seconds like we've got to learn the language of storytelling and that's what I've been immersed in deeply for like the past eight years I finally convinced Jim that storytelling uh was the way to go and it's fun when the light goes off like your conversation with Kajan right because she's um a particular storyteller and you know she she does traffic so it's a little bit harder for her but uh what's the woman at kcrw that does the design show right she's also interested well there's, I all, there's, there's know, the fans techniques... at kpcc there's uh, fans everywhere now is, is yeah like, tell me you know you know the things that that the big money lobbyists will do is they'll they'll host like a like a party or they'll host some kind of a gathering um, you know, where there's food and they're, you know, they're whining and dining journalists and then doing a little bit of a seminar. Is there any kind of plan or maybe even money for that to sort of get somebody like, uh, you know, you could get your cage on Cermax. I don't know who else is doing traffic on TV. I don't really want to. Yeah. TV, I mean, but it's I like think these are the kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, those are the kind of conversations we we actually have to go to the Hollywood cycling community and biking community. Uh, people like Peter Flack, uh, who actually have access to them because of his his great writing, and and go with um, questions like Jim would say. We go with the beginner's mind and ask them questions about their world, like how do they do things? I mean, and you know, like you've lived in L.A. and Hollywood, and you don't approach things in the right way. And they're just like, eh, pff, go goodbye. 
So right. I think it's really like, how do we start having conversations with these fantastic storytellers and not necessarily say, give us money, but teach us how to do storytelling, like go in with humility, right? And right, say, right, like, right. you know, as a visual designer, right? You know, this looks hot, that really doesn't. If I want, if I want millennials, if I want younger people, you know how to engage a young audience, right? And I would watch your rides and I'd think, imagine if all of those people were voting. Imagine if every one of those people <laughs> felt like they were invited to bike advocacy and understood what the next steps were, right? Like signing a petition doesn't really do anything. Uh, getting trained to do media outreach and then actually med- reaching out to your city council, reaching out to your local uh, reporters, reaching out to uh, your public information officers at the police, that's going to really do something. And so that's really what we're, we're, Jim and I are both really passionate about because we've had the privilege of being spokespeople in the media and, um, and seeing how it, it brought good things to our organizations. And so, you know, me, I'm a talent scout, always looking for people that would be good. Good uh, talking to the media. Hint, hint. I mean, I, I um, wonder. I wonder if we can start with getting kids on Cermak on board and getting. I don't know. It does feel it's like it's worth a call, it's right? Like throw, it's worth an some email. kind of an event with right. her. You know? We'll send you the yeah. link to our material. You can pass it along to her. Um, we've yeah. got a little tip sheet that's really helpful for just kind of boiling it down. I sent one to a San Jose. Mercury News reporter who had done, he'd actually done a really good job on a story. And so I saw it and I, I shot him an email and said, awesome job. He wrote back and he said, thank you for this material. I just printed out the handout. Like I'm going to post it on my bulletin board so I can see it whenever I'm writing a story. Oh, great. That's yeah. Great. So I, I mean, I think we underestimate the, the kind of the old fashioned um, individual outreach piece, like you contacting Kay John Cermak, uh, me contacting the reporter, that's what starts to change all this stuff. I think where, uh, where I'm really interested in is, is, is learning more about how the media functions and sharing that out with advocates. Because, you know, we live in a world where I think we regularly hear people on bikes say things like, uh, they have a car bias or they hate us or um, they're listening to the auto industry or they're controlled by big oil. And it turns, my opinion is that it's actually a lot more complicated than that. We had a really interesting conversation with a journalist from a big city daily the other day and we're talking about how stories get put together. And what he was explaining to us was, Part of the reason you're seeing these very incomplete stories popping up on the news uh, on the on the uh, news sites now is that they're they've moved from print to online. And so previously, you know, they knew that they had to finish their story by five o'clock and file it so that it could get printed overnight and delivered to your driveway the next morning. Well, now that that time that they were given is all gone, right? Like it's as soon as you get the information, get that story together as best you can and get it put up there. Um, So there's a lot of pressure on uh, getting uh, uh, clicks. And that also results in the web editor who takes the story and uh, creates the sexy headline 
um, they don't even read the story necessarily. They just, they scan it to get the gist of what it's about and then come up with the clickbaitiest headline they can possibly get. And so that's why you get these, these ridiculous headlines on stories that, um, that really should be treated a lot more thoughtfully. So you've got a business model now that um, really encourages um, quick turnaround, uh, spend as little time as possible. Um, it, and in a place like LA, for example, the LA Times is so big, they don't even write traffic stories anymore. That's all the province of the TV stations, right? So that's all the province of smaller papers and the TV stations. So you've got, you've got a very complicated playing field with the, uh, with the news business. And then the other thing I discovered uh, here in Sacramento was in dealing with the CHP, I would see these news stories about crashes that the CHP was investigating. And these stories would like blame the victim or they would, they would talk about helmets or whatever. And I started calling up the CHP and asking them um, follow-up questions like, is your investigation done? No, no, it'll take 30 days because it's a fatal collision. Then why does your press release say that the bicyclist was likely at fault? Like, that's not, that's not okay. Um, and what happens is I discovered, for example, that CHP trains its spokespeople to deliver a safety message within 10 seconds of an interview starting. That's their goal, right? Yeah, wow. Right yeah. out there and get the safety message out there. That doesn't leave a lot of time to figure out whether the driver was speeding, whether the driver was looking at their cell phone, but they can look at the, at the bicyclist and say, well, wasn't wearing a helmet, was wearing a dark hoodie. And so you've got, they're under pressure to uh, perform in a particular way that produces bad information. And then you've got a reporter who takes that information and with the least amount of time possible, turns it into a news story. And then you've got a web editor who's going to, um, make make a, a, a nice uh, headline for it. So there's just this perfect storm of disconnects that happens throughout the process. Um, you know, I don't think that that uh, reporters are necessarily biased towards uh, drivers or biased against bicyclists. Um, they're working with what they have to work with. And so there's an opportunity here for advocates to be in more regular contact with the reporters who were covering this stuff. The other thing that's really interesting is that, you know, uh, something like uh, uh, there's been a 47% reduction in newsroom staffing between 2008 and 2018. So almost half the number of jobs uh, today as there were 10 years ago. A lot, in a lot of these papers, they are eliminating things like the transportation reporter, but they all have crime reporters. So you've got this, this system that doesn't serve us well in terms of getting good information out there. And that's what we are trying to, uh, trying to address. Well, right on. Um, I, love, I love this. Uh, this is excellent work that you guys are doing. Um, I wonder if there's, is there already some kind of a, like traffic reporting awards? out there like could could we start a traffic reporting awards i think that's a really i think it's a really great <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so more to be revealed and we will continue okay. to be chatting with you and and nick will share with me hopefully your email address because i i don't think i still have it but let's yeah. continue this conversation i see that laura friedman is, is yes. on 
next. So what we want to round out with is that tell one. people that please come to petalove.org and you can find the online toolkit with all the tools. And then we have uh, training on, uh, on <laughs> we have a training on May 21st, uh, media training on May 21st, and then we have a, um, a storytelling training on June 10th. So we hope people will come and check it out, and uh, we'd love to see you guys there. And thanks for the great work that you guys are doing. We really appreciate it and help letting us share this message to your listeners. Hey, thank you for the work you guys are doing, and uh, we'll, we'll have you guys back on for, for some updates in the future. So thanks for your work. Melissa Balmer and uh, Jim Brown. We look forward to it. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thank Take care, you. you guys. Thanks. Okay. Um, next up, Nick, unfortunately, is having some technical difficulties with his microphone. So we are, let's see here. I'm going to get Laura Friedman on now. And uh, there she is. Hi, Laura. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Excellent. Um, Welcome to Bike Talk. We're doing Zoom, so we're having a little bit of technical difficulties here and there, but um, uh, I like that background you have there. I see the, the Griffith Observatory. That's pretty cool. Yeah, no, I just happened to be hanging out at the Griffith Park Observatory. <laughs> kind of coincidence, right? It thought it looked nice, so here I am. Right. It, the skies still look clear. It doesn't look like... Um, yeah, it's a little darker up here. Maybe we're a little further north than you. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. A little darker now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so we last time we had you on we talked a lot about um well you were you were up for re-election but i i think you uh were not there was no risk to you being re-elected we, we, well we have I, you back, I, right? yeah I, I don't know um people are it's a very strange time i do have a republican opponent in november Okay. Um, but I don't know how much campaigning we'll be able to do, uh, given the pandemic. And then I also feel like doing a lot of mail right now when everyone's going to get a lot of mail from presidential candidates is just maybe not the thing I need to do. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. Okay. We'll see okay. Laura, I understand this year you're going to tackle the 85th percentile law, finally, with your bill, AB 2121. How's that going? No, we're not, unfortunately. No? No. We, wrote a, we wrote a great bill based on the recommendations from the task force that we put together last year, the task force of stakeholders and experts and people who are advocates from around the state of California. We had uh, bicycle and pedestrian safety advocates. We had local government representatives. We had police chiefs. We had California Highway Patrol. We had a whole group of people, and they had meeting after meeting, hour after hour, um, they worked with the transportation committee and they really drilled down and came back with a very comprehensive report and set of recommendations about how to improve traffic safety. Um, they looked at the 85th percentile and made some really great concrete ways to reform it and change it and make it make some more sense. And then a whole bunch of other recommendations about the way to fund safer streets initiatives and everything else. And so we put them into a bill and we were super, super excited about it. And then when COVID hit, our different transport, our different committees in the legislature made the decision to only have one committee meeting each. And the speaker left it up to all of the individual chairs of the committees to decide which bills they would set. So unfortunately, uh, uh, the chair of the transportation committee in the assembly 
has declined to set that bill for a hearing this year. And what's unfortunate about it is that even though it's not directly COVID related, what we're seeing is that as less people are driving, a lot mm-hmm. of people are driving much faster. And we're seeing right. more street racing. We're seeing some really deadly collisions on our streets. Um, and if any city was to do a traffic survey now, the 85th percentile would probably force them to raise speed limits in our areas. So that means that some, depending on how long this lasts and how long people stay off the roads, to enforce giving any kind of traffic tickets if they're, with, if they're out going outside of the 10-year window from when they've last done a traffic survey, they'd mm-hmm. have to do another traffic survey. And if the average speed limits have gone up, which they are right now because of less people driving, they'd be forced to raise their speed limits. So I think that the bill would have been important this year as well. And I, I think that safety is always important and we should always do what we can and uh, do our best to put this into place, but it was not to be. So, uh, and I will say that, you know, there was some doubt as to whether we'd be able to get the bill through this year anyway, because the advocates, everybody's at home, everyone's sheltering at home. So if the bill turned out to be controversial, it might've had a tough road without a lot of people there to support it in person. Mm -hmm. So we're of course going to take it on again in January and hopefully we're more back to normal and people can, can weigh in and, and if if they can't do it in person people were more set up in the legislature to handle people's input and people are more organized and kind of back together again uh, on their social networks communicating so we're not going to let it go we're going to definitely introduce it as a priority bill for us next year but we are not going to be moving the bill this year okay okay all right interesting um do you, the opposition to this bill who is it what, what are we up against? There are still some folks out there. There was a man who was on the task force named Jay Bieber, who's out in the Valley. And I think he remains opposed to, you know, to speed limits and, and uh, anything that kind of slows traffic down. And, and uh, I think that there are some financial uh, concerns raised by some agencies that don't want money siphoned from just highway road work or road work to go into safe streets. You know, we've had opposition from Caltrans and other groups when we've tried to say, hey, if you're going to be doing major road work anyway. How about evaluating that street to see if, you know, under certain criteria to see if it's a street that has pedestrians and bicycles about doing those upgrades to make the street safer. And a lot of people have come back and said, oh no, that might cost money. We don't want to do that. So there are always people who, who just don't think that safety is important enough to spend money on. So that could be a fight. Uh, this time we had AAA and we had um, Highway Patrol on our task force. So hopefully they, appreciate that we had a consensus approach that they were a part of and we'll respect that consensus result. Uh, We don't know until we actually try to move the bill through a committee to know who's really going to oppose it and who's going to support it. Mm -hmm. And CHB and AAA, those, they always seem to be the, the kind of one of the roadblocks, right? Like they have been in the past with 85th percentile, but they were very present during the, um, the meetings that the, um, the task force had. So I, I hope that they feel um, listened to and I hope that they did some listening as well and understand right. why this is important to a lot of people. And uh, um, we'll see, we'll see where they end up when the bill comes back. And what do you think we could do as advocates to reach out to those organizations and do our own work to help persuade them? Well, the bill is in print, so it'll be great to, to take a look at the bill and, and you know, we, we could, we will probably over the summer as well or into the fall, reach out to those groups and just see where they're going to be. And we all should be out 
and in our communities, making sure that our elected officials understand this is a priority. The more elected officials weigh in, the better. I do believe that municipalities generally don't like the 85th percentile. I think that they feel that it ties their hands from setting the speed limits uh, at, in places where they know they have a speeding problem or an enforcing. So I, I think that they're gonna, we, we had a lot of representation from municipalities. It was, it was very interesting. When we were putting the task force together, we had phone calls from cities all around the state. We had phone calls from small cities, big cities, rural areas, urban areas, all saying that they wanted to participate, that they had a problem in their area. Um, you know, we don't typically in, in here in LA, we don't think about traffic safety maybe in rural areas, but you, they have a problem when they have straight highway roads where there's no one for miles and people are going 200 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour in their car and they're going right past houses that might be right up against those roads with kids and everything else. So uh, there's a, there was a tremendous amount of interest, but we have to galvanize all those people and, and all of those stakeholders to say, we finally have a vehicle to uh, change the, this law and to, to make streets safer. And, and the bill doesn't just deal with the 85th percentile. It, it has a whole lot of sections in it based on the recommendations of the task force towards, and, and to be clear, the task force was not about the 85th percentile per se. We called it our zero fatalities uh, vision task force. So it was really about how do we make our roads safer? So 85th percentile was a large part of that, but also engineering was a part of it and funding for, for engineering and studies was a part of it. So there's a, a lot of real meat in there um, uh, for a lot of people to get behind, but it's gonna be our job as advocates to go out and get people excited and get them to weigh in, get elected officials to weigh in and to, to get that critical mass together to uh, convince the transportation chair to let the bill through, to get committee members to vote for it and to get it voted out of the legislature and get the governor to sign it. It's a long road ahead in January for this bill. Okay, okay. So keep an eye on that i mean i've definitely uh, followed this for years and i mean in los angeles the ladot for a long time was they actually had a representative a senior engineer with ladot and a motorcycle cop with lapd that would go from neighborhood council to neighborhood council um you know because the neighborhood council would raise the issue that that people are speeding on a particular road or uh you know sunland boulevard comes to mind and oh yeah and uh, you'd go to these neighborhood council meetings and there'd be a, pre a person from LADOT presenting to the neighborhood council that they had to raise the speed limit in order to enforce it. And the, the motocop was there too. And uh, it was very frustrating because they didn't present any other options. It wasn't like, well, we have this speeding problem. Let's engineer the street to be a slower street, you know, narrowing lanes or, you know, whatever they can do to, to reduce the speeding on mm -hmm. the street, they would just say, well, we have to raise the speed limit in order to enforce the speed limit. And it was just sort of like, is the LADOT pushing for this? Like, it seemed like they were in favor of raising the speed limits. And I just, I'm I'm seeing some ads on Facebook right now where LADOT is saying we want to slow the speeds, so maybe they're changing their tune. And uh, have you had any communication with the LADOT? Anybody in particular that? Oh, they've been LA has been very supportive from the beginning of the legislation. They were very supportive of the task force. They're very supportive of trying to have more tools to have a zero uh, vision. Uh, for Los Vision. Angeles work. And yeah. so I, I do Vision think that zero, they're, yeah. 
Yeah, I think that they're very, very supportive of this. They, they think that they, they need the tools that this will provide. You know, one of the things that's in the bill is also to change the traffic manual every few years because these engineers come out and they, they study this traffic manual that has uh, optimum lane widths and uh, it really uh, teaches the engineers, I think, to, to, to have a mindset of moving cars quickly. And right. so there's a, a whole section in the bill about changing those manuals, those traffic manuals to focus on safety for mm -hmm. pedestrian and cyclists instead and to give a lot more options and a lot more flexibility, but to make it clear that that should be the goal, not just moving traffic, but making sure that the roads are safe for everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, and that doesn't always happen right now in the, it doesn't happen in the traffic manuals. So that's what I mean about how there's a lot of different parts to the bills that are very important. And I remember years ago talking to the city of Glendale about having some, some rotaries in the residential neighborhoods. And I was just told, oh no, those, those aren't allowed, you know, in California, which isn't even true, but just it's not in the manual. And at one point asking about a bike lane in one area and them saying, well, no, because the, the optimum lane is X feet wide. And it was very wide. I can't remember what it was. It was like 12 feet or something. Yeah, and 12 or 14 like, feet. Yeah, I was like, but your car is not that big. There's no, you know, there's no reason to, to do that. I understand it may be optimal, but if you're trying to get a bike lane in and that's important, the lane can be smaller. So trying to write the manuals a little bit differently uh, would make a big difference because those engineers do point to those manuals and say, oh no, we need 14 feet and that's it. And we can't have a bike lane because we wouldn't have 14 feet. And it's not true that you need 14 feet. Uh, so, um, right, they can be as small as nine feet, right? Like, yes, um, exactly. And so I think that if the manual was rewritten to talk about how you make those decisions, how you prioritize, what the standards should be, then it would give the engineers more comfort in listening to elected officials, which I was at the time, and responding to the needs of the community and not just the something that's uh, uh, very rigidly presented to them uh, as an engineer. All right, so we're going to follow this in January. AB 2121 is when and that's It will probably back. have a different number next year, just so you know. So oh, we'll, okay. We'll okay. come back and talk to you this, about it then. This gets so confusing to uh, the uh, commenter that I am. But, uh, it's confusing to me too. Um, I noticed that on Twitter you mentioned that LA County should temporarily close hundreds of miles of roads in prime walking locations and open them to pedestrians and bikes. Is it, is it safer for, public, for the public and necessary during the, the it's, you're saying that it's safer for the public and necessary during the pandemic. Could you elaborate more on this? Sure, if you want people to be able to be six feet uh, apart from each other, and you've got an area where there's a lot of people walking and cycling, the more room you give them, the easier it will be for them to socially distance. And at the same time, we uh, continue to have a situation where car traffic is down. Now, it's increasing a bit right now as we're starting to kind of slowly reopen things. Um, but uh, I think that you still have a lot more people out walking around than you did before. People are out with their kids. The kids are still home from school. And if the kids are home from school, they need to be able to go out and have walks and, and ride their bike somewhere. And they need to do that safely. Uh, it makes total sense to, to find roads in each community where you can open them up, widen them up, and make them into places where people can go and walk safely. And you can still have your streets that are car-oriented streets. We're not saying shut down all your streets, but if you know that you have a lot of people walking, let's say on Brand Boulevard in downtown Glendale, not a lot of car traffic, why not shut down a lane? Or why not shut one down one side? You probably won't slow that traffic down very much at all, but you will give people a, a safe place to go and be out in their community and walk around. Um, 
And yeah, in I mean, some I, places, I definitely... the sidewalks are narrow. And we, we have a situation where you've got like no one in the street, no, very few cars in the street, and people are crowding onto sidewalks. And that's not safe, and it doesn't make sense. I've definitely seen people uh, on the sidewalk, and then as they approach somebody, one of them will get into the street to get six feet away from the other person on the sidewalk. Yep. Um, so definitely makes sense. Um, you know, just driving, I haven't actually driven in a long time, but I drove today and, uh, the traffic was noticeably, uh, increased. In fact, there was some traffic today. It was kind of weird, but, uh, I mean, the last time I drove was maybe a couple of weeks ago and there was, there was no traffic and today yep. there was, and it was, I felt a little sad about that. It is kind of sad. I, I think that we should really be seizing this moment to introduce people to uh, the pleasure of other options. Uh, I ride a bike a lot in Sacramento, and my roommate up there is another, legislate, another legislator. I convinced her to get a bike this week so that we could bike together to the Capitol. And so we went to go look at bikes. And let me tell you something. You cannot buy a bike right now in Sacramento. So many people are buying bikes. It's insane. I would go on Facebook Marketplace and I would write someone about a bike. And an hour later, the bike would be marked sold. I went wow. to the bike shop and the guy looked at me kind of in terror. And he said, I have nothing <laughs> in the shop for under $600. Nothing. He's like, there are no bikes. There are no used bikes for sale. I went to Target in Sacramento. And went to the bike department and there was just, it was sort of like the toilet paper roll, toilet paper <laughs> aisle. It was, it was all of the bike racks and they were all empty. There was not one bike at Target. Wow. So I, I, people I, are out there and I just, my daily ride into the Capitol, uh, the number of people that are out biking around with their kids, so many kids biking with, with adults, so many, so much cycling going on. So this is the moment to kind of hook people on walking and biking or taking the train and we will do that better if we provide some safe streets for them right now and make it into a thing, make it into a fun thing. Like, yeah, you're sheltering at home, but you don't have to be cooped up. Here are some safe areas where you can go. You can be in your community. You can still be six feet away from people. And, you know, maybe those coffee shops and restaurants can, can sort of sell things outside, you know, have sort of curbside. And mm -hmm. it would be um, fun for the community. It would give people that, that, connection with the community and we could do it safely if we're careful and smart about it and we can also hook people on being outside and not just being in their car i love that vision i love that vision that's why we love you laura friedman <laughs> <laughs> um is there there's no term limits for you is there can we there keep are, you forever there are term oh. limits there are no, term why? limits why uh, <laughs> but thank you that's very sweet of you <laughs> um laura uh you know, do you, is there anything else you want to tell us about that you got in the, in the works? I know you're, you're probably um, ready to get back to, to uh, your, your personal life. We appreciate your time here. Is there, is there anything else you want to add for well, the show? Well, I'll just say or? that one, of the, one thing I am working on right now in Sacramento that's, that's potentially exciting, but I think there's a very small window for this actually happening is before the pandemic started, there were a couple of legislators and myself who were working on a climate resiliency bond that would look at the coming impacts of climate change and our very real crises that we're experiencing with drought and with wildfire and do a bond to do um, large projects to make a real difference with sea level rise, with air quality in urban districts, with, um, with wildfire, with all of the different impacts from climate change. Now, since the pandemic's come, that bond has changed 
uh, now it's focusing a lot less on climate and a lot more on economic recovery, but it's economic cover recovery with a focus on jobs that would also pay that co-benefit of reducing wildfire risk, of, of, of helping with clean water. And there's also a lot in there for things like urban air quality or just air quality in general, greening of areas. Excuse me one second. Rachel, <laughs> Rachel, please. But now I can't go in the pool with you. Um, transport. Okay, I'm going to have to go in a minute, but transport, public transportation, others. Hold on one second. Hold on. Hi, sorry about that. <laughs> no I problem. I have a very angry first grader here. Hey, and by the way, happy Mother's Day. Thank you. Coming up on Thank Sunday, you. right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right, we'll let, we'll let you go. And, um... Okay. It's good to talk to you. <laughs> Yeah, it's thanks good to talk so to you, too, and we'll have you back on, hopefully, and we'll reach you back okay. on soon. Great. Okay, Stay thanks, safe. Laura. I hope everyone out there stays safe and uh, shelters indoors, but gets out into the outside, too. Okay. Right. Right. Take care. Sure. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye. See ya. All right, who do we have left? Oh, wow. Wow, look at this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hi, Lorraine. How you doing? We have Lorraine hey, Lundquist. This is your life. Now. This this is uh this is um this is amazing. Yes. What are you doing today? <laughs> uh I'm fifty fifty. I was out uh you know I was out in a car today and I was driving and I saw smog for the first time in a month. What oh, I think was smog. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and it just was sort of like, okay, people more and there was more traffic and people are starting to get back into the routine again. And I was kind of yeah. feeling a little bit, a little bit bummed out about that, but, um, yeah. but stoked to have you on. So, uh, yeah. Uh, happy Mother's thank Day. You. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to have one of our great mothers in the assembly, assembly member Friedman. She's amazing. Yes, she is. And um, we almost had you in council yeah. district 12. What, so the final the final count was what six hundred we missed yeah, it by six hundred eight hundred and one votes I lost by um, which was ended up being basically was point six percent away from being runoff. Oh God. Yeah, it was a painful loss to be sure, um, but you know the the movement continues, the work continues, and and yeah. the issues aren't going away. So I'm not going to stop fighting. Right. And the, another, you know, thank you for fighting because you basically made sure that, uh, you know, your opponent uh, didn't, you know, wasn't elected with, with a, with a mandate, you know, like as right. usual that goes with this council district, you really gave it a, a good fight and he can't say that, that, you know, there isn't a healthy opposition and all that BS with the Fed, with the FBI investigation is just like killing me. So yeah, for those who don't know, there was an FBI um, indictment that landed just a few days after the election that implicated my opponent's former boss, so Councilmember John Lee's former boss, which is the former Councilmember Mitch Englander, and um, it's because of a a, a trip that. He was on in Vegas where a businessman paid for all kinds of things. Um, I'll say it. 
Okay, go ahead. Hookers and booze, basically. They wind and dine. Developers wind and dine. Um, Your opponent and the former council member. And that guy's going to jail. Mitch Englander is going to jail. Yeah. Right? Yes. He pled guilty. He he originally was faced with a maximum sentence of 50 years in jail. And with the plea deal, it's come down to a maximum of five years in jail. So we don't know how long he will actually spend in jail, but that bargain (laughs) really helped out um, to plead guilty. But John Lee was on the trip. So it's interesting that the indictment was, you know, written on January 16th, but on not unsealed until after the election. And, um, definitely, yeah. definitely a, a blow. Painful. Uh, um, yeah. Just a strange course of events. But and he's lucky that this COVID thing happened because there was a there was a petition going around. There was a bunch of talk about recalling uh, John Lee um shortly after the election and then this covid thing happened and sort of you know dissipated but uh we'll we'll see what the future brings but we should talk about we should talk about positive things and forget about those people okay sounds great mother's day is coming up and you're here to talk about biking and mother's day Yes, yes. Well, shout out to all the bike moms out there. Happy Mother's Day to everybody listening who's, who's a mom. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of people who um, find it challenging to bike around LA in particular with kids. Um, I mean, it's challenging. In some ways, it's challenging to bike around LA because we just don't have great infrastructure here. But um, it's, it's, it's there are places like um you know like where i am and and um certain you know certain commutes i happen to have a great bike commute to work i work at csun and and i live in northridge and it's it's just a really great bike commute and and i take my kids to school um biking as well so um it's really an enjoyable thing to be able to do as a mom. And if you haven't tried it out, I definitely recommend sticking with biking, even after you have kids, because it's doable and it's possible. And And, it's fun. And it's fun. And to this day, I remember riding on my parents, I I think it was my mom's handlebars. She had one of those seats that was on the, it was, you know, a long time ago. So it was a little dangerous, but yeah. It was like some kind of a handlebar seat. And I remember riding along the LA River before even the LA River bike path was there. There was a, a, a road. And I, I distinctly remember it as a child. And it stays with you forever. Wow. You know, it's, it's so cool. So, yeah. Let me, um, can I, can, I'm going to test my audio real quick here. Yeah. I've been yeah. off, off the air because it wasn't good. But I remember riding on the back of my mom's bike and she had this. I remember the she had this like a cape, like a like a cape. Anyway, I, that's probably why I do bike <laughs> talk today. And um, but as a parent of a almost two year old, I find that I'm pretty scared to get on this on the the road. Even though I, you know, I would have thought I would have been able to do it, but now she just seems so fragile. How do you, you know, what do you what do you say about that? 
I mean, it's hard. I mean, I'm, a, I am not a, I'm a scared biker. I, I don't, I don't, I don't bike the, um, the, uh, really trafficy streets. I try to stay on the residential areas and the, you know, bike lanes and, um, uh, so that's what I'm comfortable with. Um, and I have a nice setup. I have a cargo bike. It's a Madsen cargo bike, which is, um, the kind with like a bucket on the back and that has, they have four seat belts on my bike. Um, I like to say I can take more kids in my bike than I can in my car, <laughs> which is that's so cool. That's pretty cool. Um, and actually, it's really nice right now because honestly, my my three year old broke her leg. Not not biking. She broke her leg on the trampoline. Oh no! Yeah. So sorry to hear that. Yeah, and it's really rough. They said she's too young for crutches, so she. I mean, and she's got a full leg cast, so she basically can't really get herself around she's not allowed to try walking on the cast it's um it's pretty sad so um it but it's really nice for her to have like another way to get out we take we go for walks in the stroller but to also be able to go in the cargo bike in the madsen for a bike ride is really really nice for all of us <laughs> to get out i love it um i i mean i saw your bike and it reminded me you know i i i one of my favorite places in the world is the Netherlands and I've ridden bikes there many times, probably spent collectively a couple of months there. And you see, it's just normal moms with yeah. bucket bikes and kids like yeah. spilling, you know, like practically spilling out of the bucket in, in the bikes and they're, yeah. it's, it's, it's amazing. It's, and we could have this in LA. It's, we have way better weather than they do and exactly. uh yeah exactly and i mean they made a really concerted effort to to build up their biking infrastructure during the oil the time of the oil shocks like back in the 70s so um right. it's it's it isn't just that like it's it i mean i think some people think that oh they're just different um it's a different culture different people that I definitely hear people here say, oh, people in LA will never get out of their cars. But that's it, the built environment that surrounds you really, really affects your behavior. It's, it's, it goes the other way around. It's not like people decide to get on their bikes and then they decide to change the infrastructure. The change really happens the other way around. The, the infrastructure creates the culture. Right, right. And they use... Nick, when are you getting a bucket bike? Oh, as soon as I finish uh, these home repairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nick, Nick, you live over um, near the LA River bike path, so you could actually... Uh, I, you don't actually have like a straight path there. You have like San Fernando Road, which is kind of treacherous. Yeah, I... I don't even like to walk in my neighborhood because I feel like a car is going to go on the curb. Yeah. With my daughter. Yeah. I don't know if you got to hear uh, Laura Friedman at all, um, Lorraine, but uh, there's the 85th percentile um, uh, legislation that she's trying to pass through to tailor back the 85th percentile law in California to try to get uh, speeding reduced. Yeah. And uh, out here in the valley, speeding is a big deal. I mean, 
I'm in these Facebook groups and like every other day, it seems like there's a major car crash that happens. And, uh, you know, it seems like we could build some kind of political will out here. So are you, you know, what's next for you, Lorraine? Like what, what can we, are you going to remain active politically? Like I, I can't Absolutely. see that you wouldn't. Yeah. You, you were active for years before yeah. your campaign, so. Yeah, I'm absolutely going to be remaining politically active. You know, I'm still kind of sitting with the, the future and thinking about exactly what form that will take. Um, but I'm absolutely going to be fighting for the same thing that I've been fighting for for, for a long time now, which is justice in our communities and, and um, you know, a livable future for our children and um, equity and equality in our city. And um, I and no no pressure. I know you need to rest because the campaign, yeah. a political campaign, is insane. Like the amount of uh, energy, I could just. I mean, you did great, you know. But it's just like wow, like all of this. It's so much pressure and so much work. So you know, no, take a year off or two. But uh, you know, yeah. Thank you. It's a huge amount of work and, and uh, enjoying some rest time right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, thank you, Lorraine. And you can stay on for a minute if you want. We have Luke Lopez here. Uh, Fantastic. Hello. Hello. Hey, Luke. Let's see here. Let's you guys get can hear Luke me okay? on. Now, Luke, yes. you had a hit and run. Yeah, just on uh, Monday. Yeah, on Monday. Okay. Yep. Um, I'm also a hit and run survivor, so oh, okay. I, I, I feel you, brother. Um, yeah. I'm glad that you're okay. Thank you. It seems like you're okay from the video. Yeah. I can't see the rest yeah. of your body. <laughs> Is it just a head? No. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> just a head survived. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, tell, us, tell us what happened. Yeah, so uh, I live in Riverside, uh, California, and I was... On my day off, uh, I'm a mailman, and uh, I was on my day off, just running some errands. Um, had my gator on, so I was totally legal out there. And um, I was uh, turning left onto a street. It was a, a double turn, double left turn lane. And I was on the outside of that, so that way when I made the left, I could get right into the bike lane. And uh, the, the light was red, so I was just stopped behind a car. I had a good buffer of distance. And all of a sudden, uh, the car only had one reverse light go on. So the other one was busted. One light goes on. I'm like, oh, this guy's backing up. He doesn't see me, you know? So I, uh, I'm thinking he's trying to get over to the next lane over, and you know, the inside turn lane. He, uh, he comes all the way up to, like, about my stomach area with his trunk. And I, I slam my hand down uh, on his trunk to get his attention. Um, that didn't work. And the next thing I knew I was falling off of my bike to the right. Uh, I honestly, I can't remember if I, if I physically jumped off or if it was the momentum from the car that pushed me off the bike. So anyways, I'm on, I'm on the side now I'm watching him as he fully runs over my, my bike, um, in reverse. I then see him put it in drive and then he drives over the, my bike going forward. So then I'm thinking he's going to leave the scene, right? 
and he stops in the intersection. So I run over to my bike. I, I get my, my handlebar bag. I reach for my phone to try and take a picture, a video, something of him leaving the scene. I click video. Thank God. I click video. And that's when I got him on video, putting in reverse and then running over my bike again for a third time. Again, what, what do you think he was doing? Why did he so do that? So what happened was he then gets out of the car. He's banging on the driver window next to him on their passenger window, telling the lady, open the door, open the door. And I'm, I'm thinking he's trying to carjack her because he just messed his car up. So he's trying to get away. He's, he's banging, banging. So she doesn't do anything, but she doesn't leave. And so I'm like, why is this lady not leaving? Like, clearly this guy's trying to get her, you know? So then he gets back into his car. He starts to leave. Then I see him start to make a three-point turn going in the uh, oncoming traffic coming back towards us. So now I'm thinking he's out. He's going to come and get me because he sees me videoing him. He's going he's gonna to take me out, right? He then realizes too much traffic coming his way. So he then just flees the scene. The lady in the car then pulls over, the one he was banging on her window. She comes over. She's crying. She's on the phone. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking she's crying because she saw me just go through this, you know, dramatic thing and almost get ran over and and i and i said did you see that she says yes i said i I can't believe it she says that's my son and i'm like your son and i said why'd he do this to me and she's and she's on the phone though at the same time so she's like kind of listening to me and kind of not she was on the phone with 911 so come to find out she kind of told me that she had had an altercation with her son earlier um i had asked her i said does he live with you she said no he's homeless um, I said, is he under your insurance? Um, no. And so, yeah, so they had some type of an altercation over something. He was trying to get something from her. I don't know exactly what it was, something about a phone or something. So you so could identify the guy. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, with my video, I could and everything, but, um, and in the video I was able to get his license plate. Um, but she so, she wasn't compelled to identify him or well i'm i'm assuming so once the police like six police officers showed up because i think the uh-huh. way the call came in it seemed like as if he was running over me three times and so there was like six cop cars come and they once they came they started inter- interviewing her they kind of mm-hmm. kept me separated from her they mm-hmm. wouldn't let me like ask her any more questions on like why he did it who he was mm-hmm. the cops then at that point took charge and got all uh, i'm assuming got all his information from her i see so you're doing a gofundme to raise money for yeah so i started gofundme because it's um since he fled the scene i my uninsured motorist will help me with any bodily injury which i did i was i did hurt my heel from falling off but it doesn't cover the bike and i'm i'm not not one of these n plus one bike guys like i got yeah, one bike to one rule bike. them all you know and so i just needed to replace my bike i'm a, I'm a mailman on a single in, in a single income uh, household you know so you know money's not you know flowing you know so uh yeah i just i started to go fund me page and i just I, I asked for i think it was like a set of goal of like 800 bucks just to cover the bike and maybe anything that gotcha. might be fixed with it. I'm not looking for some fancy, you know, $2,000, $5,000 bike that, you know, I'm watching some of these roadies, right. You know, it's just okay. something simple, you know, All and right. within two days I, I reached the goal. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Right. So actually so initially I was, I was, I had, congratulations. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 
I really? initially reached out to I because I'm not on social media. I have no Facebook, no Instagram. Trying to keep it very simple, and um, but I listen to a lot of podcasts, and so I reached out to all my podcast people that I, I love to listen to, and you guys were one of them. And so I had reached out to you guys, and Nick was like, "Well, let's put you on the show, and you know, maybe just right. spread the word that way." And um, the crazy thing is, it it reached the goal before it even happened. I did. I did okay, reach so out. Now, yeah. The the next step is this guy that yeah that committed this crime. Right. You need to be held accountable. When I was, you know, hit and mm -hmm. I was plowed into from behind and I had to go mm -hmm. to the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, I had to do all the investigation myself. You know, really? I had to helm them. Yeah. I mean, wow. I, when I was, I, you know, I was laying on the middle of the street and just by sheer luck, my head was facing the direction of the car as it drove around me. Yeah. And I, you know, just a couple months before we were doing a demonstration for a hit and run that killed somebody literally wow. across the intersection from where I was. Mm. And so I was conscious enough to see the plate and I was yelling the plate over and over. And while I was pulling my phone out and I right. tweeted the, the plate and I had to hound the cops, you know, mm -hmm. uh, once I got out of the hospital next morning, I called the police and they were basically indifferent. So I'm, you know, I'm wondering, have you had any contact with the police and are you? Yeah. So, um, I, I emailed the police officer who the traffic officer who did the report. Um, he, uh, emailed me back. I just had asked them cause my insurance wanted the, um, like part of the, uh, police report called the face sheet. Um, yeah. and the, uh, but the officer said that it had already been um, filed. So the insurance okay. have to get to that later. Anyways, he emailed me back. Cause, cause said, this, this is a yeah. crime. So yeah. it's a crime. Yeah. We, he well, needs yeah, to, yeah. Cause they even asked me, they said, the officer asked me before I left the scene, he said, you know, if we catch him, what, what do you want us to do? And I'm like, um, well, whatever, what do you, what's the law say? I don't know. And yeah. he was like, well, do you want us to prosecute him? And I said, Oh, most definitely. Yes. I mean, yes. Catch the, he doesn't even be on the road anymore if this is if this is how he acts, you know. Well, Cal, the way the California law works is it's it's actually called a wobbler law. Mm -hmm. So depending on your uh, your injury, mm -hmm. it could either be a misdemeanor or a felony. There's they uh, calculate the uh, the the crime by the severity of the injury. So yours right. would probably become a misdemeanor. Uh, probably a misdemeanor property damage hit. Yeah, I think you're right because the when the officer emailed me back, he said uh, we haven't caught him yet. Uh, we're you know the detectives are still out looking for him. However, um, he said because you know we live in California, you know, he probably won't see the inside of a jail cell. And so right, I was just like, oh, okay. But I mean, he'll still get charged with a a misdemeanor mm -hmm. hit and run, and mm -hmm. I. If you need any kind of help, uh, you know, with advice on, on uh, how to, you know, hounding them or whatever, okay. uh, feel free to contact us because um, sure. sure. I've gone through this whole process and you got to hound the shit out of them because they, yeah. they don't really want to do anything with traffic stuff. They want to put traffic stuff to the insurance companies and mm -hmm. wash their hands of it because it ties up the courts. But mm. we have to tie up the courts with our shit so that they address it eventually so it's very important right. i'm glad that you reported it 
Yeah. And uh, I hope that you continue to put pressure on them. And like I said, check back with us if you, uh, if you need any, any more, uh, you know, advice and we can also hook you up with, uh, with a bike lawyer um, to, uh, to kind of help you with that. Definitely. So Appreciate thanks. That. Thanks for coming on and thanks yeah, for thank uh, you guys. sharing your story. Cool deal. Thank you. Glad guys. you're okay. Hey, uh, Luke, you, is that yeah. a river ride t-shirt? It is. Yes. I had to wear it because I was on the show. So that's my, it's a uh, last year's LA river ride shirt. Cool. It's not happening this year. I know. It? I'm bummed. Yeah. I was going to do the century. This, is, this was going to be my first century I've ever done because it's uh, mostly flat. And so I was kind of bummed that we were not doing it this year. So maybe yeah. next year. All next right. year when all this stuff is out. All right, right, right Luke. Right. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you, guys. All right. All right. Take care, my friend. We'll see you. Bye-bye. Our bicycle brothers out there and sisters. Um, we didn't get to say goodbye to Lorraine. That was, uh, that was our fault. That was very rude of us. But uh, we wanted to thank Lorraine and all our guests today. Another great show. Headlines with Taranig, and then we're going to take off. Hi, everyone. I'm Taranig with Have a Go, here with this week's Bike Headlines. This Sunday, Mother's Day, women unite worldwide for Cyclofem events, honoring the past, celebrating the present, and empowering the future of women cycling. For events happening near you, check out cyclofem.com. The National Bike Challenge runs from May to September 2020. Individuals and groups of friends can compete across various leaderboards through the whole five-month riding season. Set goals, connect with others, and win prizes. For more information, you can visit lovetoride.net. Will there be a green new normal post-corona? The Guardian reports that leaders from European, African, and American cities are coordinating ways to create a green recovery post-pandemic, a lot of which involves more cycling infrastructure and incentives for riding. Some cities are taking very bold measures to prevent a relapse into car gridlock and pollution with cycling. Mayor of Paris says that a return to car-dominated streets is out of the question, as France announces multiple cycling incentives such as 50 euros towards bicycle repairs. Mayor of London takes to Twitter proclaiming London's road to recovery cannot be clogged with cars, as his extensive street space plan could result in a whopping tenfold increase in bike ridership post-pandemic. Some exciting news from Seattle, whose mayor announced plans of making the city's temporary open streets program permanent, creating 20 miles of streets for walking and cycling. Unfortunately, as cities worldwide charge ahead with open streets initiatives and post-COVID plans for automobile reduction, Greater Los Angeles stalls and slides backwards, with the city of LA waffling on the issue of critical COVID relief open streets, and regional leader in green transportation, City of Santa Monica, votes on major cuts and eliminations to vital mobility and safety due to severe budget shortfalls. Nearly all of the transportation and mobility programs are slated to be reduced dramatically or cut entirely, including the city's Vision Zero program, Safe Routes to School program, School Cross Guards, Employer Trip Education program, and Bicycle and Pedestrian programs. That's it for this week. You can follow us on Twitter for daily urbanism and micromobility news and updates. Our handle is have a go with no spaces. Thanks, everyone. And that was the headlines with Taranig. Um, always appreciate having Taranig with the headlines. I guess that's it. I love the guests today. They're all yeah. great people. Really stoked yeah. on the work that Jim Brown and Melissa Balmer and also Scott's running for Council District 5 to replace Paul Coretz, who I think is being termed out. That's going to be another major battle. I'm sure there's going to be like 10 or 12 people battling for that. So anyways, 
Great show, Nick. Right on. We'll catch you next time. Everybody ride safe. And uh, we'll catch you next Friday on Bike Talk, KPFK live stream, now on Zoom during this COVID. When, when, when is this going to end? We don't know. I kind of don't, don't want it to end. <laughs> but today I saw that it is ending. The smog is back. The traffic is back. People are driving like maniacs. I saw two car crashes just on my way home. There was a major wow. car crash on the freeway. And then I get off the freeway to avoid it. And there was a major car crash like five cars on the street. And it was just like, okay, everybody's back. Good job, LA. That's what Taylor and Scott came out to talk about. Like, what's the new normal going to be? And I guess... Sounds like we're going back to the new normal. We'll see. There's always a second wave, they say. Right. We're not wishing for a second wave. No, but they're always... We're wishing for an enlightenment. Lessons learned, you know? People, people could appreciate a smog-free LA. We had that for a month or so, and right. now it's I, I don't know. All right. Yeah, but you can't put the genie back in the bottle. You can't. Okay. Good night. Yeah. We'll talk about it next week. Right on. All right. Take care, everybody. Ride safe. Bam bam. listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is biketalkpfk. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 